Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, joined as always by Ann Thompson, and it is our... Uh, just before 4th of July episode where I prepare to go on vacation. We get to the midpoint of the summer and anticipate the fall and a whole bunch of stuff is going on. How are you hanging in there? It seems like it's kind of quiet these days, no? It is, it is, but but it's never a dull moment. I mean, uh, you know, there's been a lot of um, executive changes as we've discussed and a lot of movies, a lot of movies. I went to see Minions, I went to see Thor. We'll talk about those later on the podcast. But last week, our big question was, what's going to happen with Elvis? And it was really hard to tell because we kept getting sidetracked with, is Elvis even a movie that we should be excited about? And we had different opinions that's about that. that. That's your problem, not mine. <laughs> but here's and- the thing that was fascinating about it is that people went to go see that movie in fairly significant quantities. And it really sends a fascinating message that, there, there is potential for films like this at the box office. So what did you well, make of that? Warner Brothers is in the business of creating uh, theatrical events, and that's what they did here. And they did it on a global scale. Cannes helped, you know, that big launch launch at Cannes. Um, and and they, they wanted to build a new star out of Austin Butler as Elvis, and they succeeded in that. They created curiosity. It wasn't Tom Hanks who was driving the box office. I maintain no. that he I was mean, he hasn't in a while. And, and he got pretty bad reviews for, for playing Colonel Tom Parker, but not just for playing him, for having him be the narrator of the story. That's my issue. But beyond that, it's a music movie. Baz Luhrmann is good at that. And Austin Butler delivered and the publicity was nonstop. And it shows that you can create that kind of want to see. And once it got there, by the way, like Top Gun, the word of mouth was good. So they yeah, needed I mean, to broaden the, the it out is, and get the younger audience in. Yeah, I mean, it, it actually occurred to me that Baz Luhrmann and his filmmaking style is a bigger star of sorts than Tom Hanks, That's especially right. for a younger audience. It now, hasn't the critics could go to town and, and debate all the different things that went wrong here, but but it's loud, it's noisy, it's it's incredibly uh, over-the-top uh, theatrical and entertaining, and that's what audiences were willing to go check out. It became also, something it they like, hadn't seen before. Well, what I've appreciated about the life cycle of this movie, even though I didn't really like it that much, is that it does stir up a lot of conversations. You're seeing lots of kind of debate about Elvis's legacy. Does the film, you know, treat the way he related to the to black music tradition appropriately? Is it accurate? You know, is the are the the later scenes of his life accurate? And and what value did Elvis have culturally then versus now? I mean, the the contemporary aspects of the movie are something that are worth digging into. I've heard so many different opinions about it. I mean, it's fun to debate. Absolutely. I think I think Baz created something that was fresh and 
and had a lot of talking points, as you say. I really don't think um, he ma he failed. I think he succeeded. But the point is that the studios need to be encouraged to make this kind of movie. And I, I actually dismiss. You should the clarify idea that. What does that, that mean? This was, all right. This is what, what is that movie? So, it's not so just a bunch the, of biopics. It's an, <laughs> all right. According to them, they spent like $85 million. I don't believe that for a second. I think it must have been over 100 at least, especially with the pandemic surcharge that was on the it. The delays. Right. But the other, but also protocols, you know, they did, you know, it's 20% of a movie or something. I mean, it's a lot of yeah. money on a movie. Um, and that's a, that surcharge has been felt across the industry. And, and there's also, never mind, that's a whole other. A whole other topic, um, but the idea is that you can you can. This is it is not a, a, a slam dunk to make a biopic. It is not that is not a commercial uh, guarantee of success. You have to make a biopic that people want to see. Whether it's Bohemian Rhapsody, which is I think more comparable to what this is. You know, it it has the music, it has familiar music, it has cultural relevance. It's and a little ridiculous and love. critics don't love it, but it's an it iconic plays to the figure crowd. that people love. Yeah. Yeah. I would argue that Elvis is a better movie than Bohemian Rhapsody. It certainly got better reviews. I, no argument there. It is definitely a what what better means. It's more singular. It's more of an auteur. Absolutely. Vision. There's no question about it. Absolutely. So that. I'm glad Baz, Baz is back in, in, in the winner's circle. And you know what? He wasn't worried about it. Baz Luhrmann. He thought he had delivered. He thought he had the goods. Um, and I'm, I'm happy that it, we need movies like that to work because we need the studios to take these risks. I'm not, so this is not, people want to say, oh, this is uh, IP. It isn't. You, you have Elvis as an, a recognizable figure, but it is by no means, this is an original movie. This is not something that has already, it's not a sequel. It's not based right. on well, something. Well, I mean, the question is what is IP in this case? There, there is something that is bigger than the movie itself that that is being latched on to. So it's that not a true. completely original, you know, it's and not And that's just why they were willing to do scratch. it. After yeah. They knew that Elvis so, still had some currency. There, There is something to that for sure. And I would love to hear what kind of uh, studio executive meetings are happening as a result of something like this. Are there projects that were on the back burner that suddenly seem more viable because this worked? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's still... Not 100% what works in theaters. So we got Top Gun and we got Elvis. We got Tom Cruise and we got a, a, an auteur pop star vision. So there's These room. Are not there's everything. room for success. All right. So let's be honest about what's going on at the box office. We have a return to summer. We have a return to levels of box office comparable to before the pandemic. We still do not have as many movies in theaters as we used to have. It is and now the art becoming... house movies are not killing it. That and it becomes more normal now for there to be two movies doing but good business or th even three uh, on a weekend, which is back to where we need to be. But you're right, there are so many movies that are doing very, very little business, and the art houses are still hurting. Unless you know, you're you look away you know, from everything everywhere at once, right. the rest well, of everything it everywhere is bad. all at once was it was a huge success, but it was the exception that proved the rule. It's not so easy for something like that to just come along and play for weeks and no, weeks. It's a 24 does it's a, seem it's a parasite. Have, it's a it's a very big exception. And it does seem that a 24 has another success now with Marcel the shell starting very small and probably in the weeks ahead, you'll, you could, we'll see numbers on that climb, but, it, but, that could but it's play a younger. small. 
also, a smaller film. They, so, A24 so smaller. Is well, it has the benefit of, of often releasing movies that are playing to a younger demo. We haven't yet seen how Art House box office is going to come out the other side of this, and that's a whole other question. It's a, it's a, it's a thorny but, issue. But it does seem related because if people are going back to see the bigger movies and getting back in the habit of going to see movies, with time we could also see an adjustment that starts to affect Art House as well. So I, I I feel like there's there we everybody should be rooting for an Elvis to succeed and the Top Gun to succeed. If you care about movie going, it's just a that's what I behavior. that's my point. Absolutely so. right. So Minions is going to do great. I let's talk I about it because it's coming out. I loved it. Loved. You know, wow, the L word. No, I'm the impressed. Thing about it is is um I I I am I am a fan of of the of the Gru uh series uh, the Minions series the and Despicable, Despicable Me series. Um, and I love I love the they they set it in the 70s so it's sort of an origin story uh, where Nostalgia we go back play. with, with Gru <laughs> for and, the parents and so it's my period man I, I had a great time with it and there were lots of musical references and lots of of, of chases and 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 incredible you know it's a band of villains. And a lot of great voice talent. Alan uh, Arkin, having, especially, having seems to be Alan Arkin is brilliant. As, He's brilliant. As the bad guy that He's the old bad guy Gru looks who up everybody's to. trying to shut out. Gru's uh, idol. Um, it's it's actually, and you know, uh, Taraji P Henson is very funny. Uh, but but the it, it's it's just delightful. There's it's stupid and silly and inventive, and they use the minions, you know, as as ricocheting. <laughs> Uh, objects to put into these very, very complicated and hard to execute uh, sequences that are hilarious. I, I think you're giving it. this movie a lot of credit. I enjoyed it's harder it, to right. do than it looks. And <laughs> I it's enjoyed better it than okay. the last one, which really was pretty bad, I thought. Uh, so I, I, was surprised. I did feel like it sort of sagged into sameness after a while. And I was I was I was a little bored. I, d I didn't feel like it really rose to the occasion, which you know, you're seeing Gru as a kid, you know, the idea of sort of the emotional stakes of Gru having these aspirations of being a supervillain. None of that really kind of came to the fore. It just kind of became a formulaic Minions movie and the slapstick stuff. You know, it's hit. I it's thought it was fun. hit or miss. I it's wasn't fun. always with it. And I think their language, which is like weirdly Eastern European like or something. <laughs> so, yeah, a little Italian, a little Eastern European. I love you know, some Spanish. I don't know. I, the, their routine rises and falls on the basis of the gags. And it felt like they have so many of these just like a backlog of minions ideas. And they just throw a bunch of that stuff in there. And then it just kind of fizzled after a while for, for me. But I totally get why this franchise works because i've seen a minions movie with small children before i mean they just plug right into that universe absolutely and so it's I think a this will great do, this will do very play. very well and then uh then the next night last night i saw uh thor love and thunder and i um have to admit that i was happy to be back in the taika ytt uh marvel the universe taika -verse. He has he has this uh, 
ability as a writer, actually. You know, you hear his voice in the dialogue. He, he's funny. He, he, he undercuts things. You he's also literally hear his voice, he's, voice because he's, he's groggy. In the, the, in the, exactly. And he's, a, he's funny there, too. He's commenting. He's, he's, he's under, undercutting the sincerity so that you, you are in on the joke, you know. And, he, and there's this great sequence where that character is telling these kids all the backstories of Thor you know, all the different myths of Thor and, and bringing you up to speed and making fun of it the whole time. Uh, and then there's Chris Helmsworth, who's making fun of himself and then being a sincere, lovelorn guy uh, as, as Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman, comes back into his life as a Lady Thor. And she doesn't like being called that and objects yeah. to it. <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil too much about this movie, and I will not, so don't stop listening now. But I felt a bit disappointed with the way that character was used. Nevertheless, uh, it's she's fine though. Great she's that she's really, back she in delivers it. She, it. She's a good Absolutely. character, a good sort of. Also, she complicates the the main Thor storyline, and when it does play with like the rom com trope or or the breakup trope or whatever you want to call it, at a certain point in time, I was like, well, it's kind of cool to see this in a Marvel movie, and that's obviously what Taika has done. In well, the that's last been few his years. mission. He, with he Thor, brings that to into humanize that. him, and, and and just more generally to bring a, a cer certain emotional stakes to that universe that I think provided more oomph to the MCU as 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 a whole. I also thought it was kind of a sad movie, and I think There's that's a what lot people of, will be of darkness. They will not people like you think because of Ragnarok was just like. But when 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 Thor is hanging upside down at the beginning of Ragnarok and and slowly spinning and he's like talking to a guy and he's like, wait, 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 I need to spin around a little bit more. That's like the first laugh of that movie that I, I remember very clearly because I was like, oh, this is actually going to be funny. This one's going to be like everyone's expecting that kind of humor and it's there. But it's also really sad in a way that I think people aren't prepared for. And I'm very curious to see how that part of the well, kind of part of the emotion unfolds. is actually brought by Christian Bale. And Christian Bale is kind of, uh, he's the, the through line uh, story along with the romance uh, between the two Thors. A very and tragic he, bad guy. He becomes, he, bec he brings a lot of heart to it, uh, to his villain, um, and he becomes the, the god you know, of destroying gods. You know, he's destroying the gods. He, he is great in this. He's so great in it. And, and I, I have a high opinion of Christian Bale, and I think a lot of people do. So do, you can go in with very, very, very high expectations and not be disappointed. I actually saw the film with somebody who didn't realize it was him, who, did, who didn't, hadn't read up on it, didn't realize it was wow. him. Wow. Wow. And then and the I other. Do, I get the, that. He's the, very the, buried in the There character. are a bunch of cameos, which I won't give away, but. But, but the one that is the most delicious is Russell Crowe. Everybody's talking about it. Nail on cast as Zeus. And and he's just he's just deliciously entertaining as and, and, and in the in the old um, shall we entertain you kind of way. I think it's it's fascinating to have a film like this come along that that's once again, as with the last Thor, very satisfying and elevates the MCU in a way because it, it allows it to be fun without trying to tell 50 different stories at once. But right now the MCU is really telling 50 different stories at once because you have the strands on the Disney plus shows and all these other movies. So that Doctor are Strange on. has hit so, Disney plus. Yeah. And, and there's go a back lot and, going on there. And see Spider-Man if you want to. And you know, there's a yeah, lot going there's on a lot right in now. Flux. And, and I don't know if, if Thor, 
is necessarily said it, it didn't seem to me as far as I could tell like there were any specific details that were setting in motion big events so it is kind of worth noting that like well they set a really up a new movie like that. they set up something at the end there's a, a new bit, character a bit but not it seems unlikely that they're setting up another kind of end game type of thing, but we have so much. I mean, look at the pipeline. You got stuff like Guardians coming up. And But I know, think it's... part of what you're saying, and I was talking to our colleague uh, Marcus Jones about this, who's, by the way, going to be on the podcast next week uh, while you're on vacation. He's our he's our new our new awards uh, guy at IndieWire. Um, and I'm looking forward to having him on and, and having you all meet him. Uh, the, we were talking about the idea that, that the Marvel Universe is scattered right now. It used to be that yeah. you were building up to some kind of Avengers climax. Exactly. And that's not happening. No. It's, it, there's, there's all so these multi-strands. And, and part, of the, and part versus, of the challenge is that it's like, when you create something that successful, it gets plugged into what our entertainment ecosystem is right now, which is always on. So you need things going all the time. So you can't just build up to this movie and that movie can't be as linear anymore. And, and that's what the comics have been like for generations, but translating that into a film slash TV context. One has to assume to that they have a plan. Usually Kevin Feige <laughs> has a plan. Yeah, well, We'll see what things are like in 10 years or whatever when we get our next Avengers movies, since they haven't uh, given us much clarity on that front. Or maybe we'll see what things are, are like after Comic-Con and then, uh, you know, the Disney conference and so forth. And so, by the way, on the box office front, Jurassic World, which did very well, despite how badly it was reviewed, but it didn't have the legs. It didn't have the word of mouth that uh, no. Top, Top Gun had. No, because it and fizzled. The entrance fizzled, in that and franchi Lightyear franchise fizzled. fizzled. Yeah. And we talked about that last week. So, But I don't think we have anything to worry about with Minions and Thor. I think they no, will I mean, absolutely Minions in particular score. with this 4th of July weekend, it, yeah. you know, it's like the ultimate go back to the movies movie for, for families and so forth. So meanwhile, in, in, the, in our, our little corner of the world, there are Oscar updates, including a whole bunch of new members. I always love new members day. Cause you can go down the list and see Mike Jones. You know, who hey. do you know? <laughs> yeah. A couple of publicists we know or executives and so forth. Some people you're like, wasn't that person Someone like Dana in? Walden finally. Yeah. Got you're in, like, although she's pretty much a TV <laughs> executive. So that's, that's so, not so, but it now, 10,000 members is what is the big takeaway from this. We are now at a 10,000 member so they, voting Ever block. since Oscar So White, they've been on this huge diversity push, but they've also been on a numbers push. They've just been adding and adding and adding at, at a clip, like 800 at a, at a time. So we're, that is over. This was only 397. Um, so that's back to old levels and, and, uh, and it's still very <laughs> Why, diverse. I, I still was left... Still very international, like, but they can't yeah. they can't keep expanding the, exponentially like why, that. Why how did we wind up with 397? Where were those three others that would have taken them to 400? <laughs> like what happened there exactly? I know some people could have gotten in this year who got rejected, but I'm I mean, I obviously am I'm loving the internationalization of the Oscars. I think to some extent you've it's seen only it going to continue, yeah. So that's really valuable. That's where the growth is. I think and we'll they be pretty looking at that this year. I think they may have tapped out some of, you know, because you're supposed to have some experience. You're supposed to have a nomination or have people, you know, vet you and recommend you. It's supposed to be difficult to get into the Academy. And it has become much easier to get in if you're a woman, if you're a person of color. It's true. It's, it's absolutely true. So there, uh, the international is where a lot of the growth is. Yeah. But I mean, I also think 
you know, when we say easier, you know, some of the people who are getting in maybe say younger or have been invited to to get in and wouldn't have they thought have about it before. They may have been less experienced than they would but, have been before. But, you know, when I see something like Jeremy O'Harris. So, 15. But when I see somebody like Jeremy O'Harris who wrote Slave Play on Broadway, but also wrote Zola, I understand that that's somebody who's, you know, considered more junior. Totally agree. Industry, but 100%. also a major, major young artist who yeah. would also be a very vocal voice at the table if given the opportunity and, and they need that. So that's the case. If, if the energy is coming in to change things up and people want to be active members, then I, I don't think it's a bad thing. Our buddy Scott Foundas got in. Yeah, I'm uh, sure he's been hoping critic. for that for a while. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> Way to go. Mr. Amazon slash MGM now, I guess. You know, Anya Taylor-Joy was one of the ones who hadn't been nominated, but actually was, you know, a, ter- a terrific choice. That to makes be a lot included. of sense. It makes a lot of sense. So yeah. there's also a new board. What What is your understanding of, of, of how the board... This is normal. I mean, every three years people term out. And um, it's an interesting question because the Academy is undergoing a lot of change. So there's a new leader, Bill Kramer, coming in on, on July 18th over from the Academy Museum. And he's he's meeting a lot of people. He's got this schedule, like meetings every hour on the hour kind of thing, where he's just talking and talking to to everyone under the sun, um, and and pick, picking people's brains. And there's a lot of of questions about the future of the academy and where it's going. But uh, in the meantime, he, they have to pick a new president because David Rubin, who has been the president, is ending his third year and his he's terming out. So uh, a lot of people think it's going to be Janet Yang, who had a pillar named after her at the museum last week. And there was a ceremony. She's one of the um, She's a veteran producer. She's been in the industry a long time. One of the three governors that was appointed as a person of color to diversify the uh, board of directors. So we'll right. see if right. that turns out to be where it goes. You could not ask for a better time to completely change the leadership of the academy. And I don't mean that just to diss everybody who's leaving, but there's been just so many challenges. Obviously, last year was a, was really upsetting what happened with with the slap but and there's a lot that, of criticism of David Rubin and Don Hudson's the, the shows uh, handling of the aftermath of Will yeah. Smith yeah exactly so that happened as a, almost a culmination of all these other challenges including how do you get people to watch the Oscars what are the Oscars really for is it the show versus the museum like where are the real priorities and I think you're going to see those questions evaluated from a new perspective now because it's just new new people so i'm very curious about that you know one thing that was raised to me uh this this week by someone i was talking to was that there's been a rule change in in the academy with respect to documentaries uh and and emmys where if you if you go for an emmy then you You can't can't double dip on the academy platform you can't that that's been true for a couple years now but but i'm going to be curious it's going to be interesting to see how people deal with that now that you know we do live in a seat in a year where the emmys overlap with say the toronto film festival and you know we're kind of they just have to make up their mind you know whether they're going to go for a a a qualifying theatrical release you know honestly eric in the documentary world uh the theatrical you know there are very few documentaries that actually have real theatrical releases they just do it to to qualify for the oscars yeah certainly now, right now we haven't need seen it. one do they, well they want them but yeah. but the but the trick here is is that um you know there is no theatrical market for documentaries really they're television entities in fact in real life 
you know, and how do we, the whole question of how we define what is a movie, what is, uh, you know, is the, is the Oscars only about theatrical movies? Is there some other way to define right. them? Is there some That's other way to coexist with the Emmys? These are big questions going forward if the Oscars are going to continue to have relevance, including whether the Oscars are actually going to actually be on ABC. Right. If they really want relevance, they got to stream somewhere. Well, ABC is part of Disney, which has other kinds of options. I understand, so but they're never going to make as much money anywhere else. And that's that's why they're stuck with ABC. So speaking of Disney, it was very, a very anticlimactic outcome was, yeah, yeah. Uh, this week with Bob Chapek. Uh, you know, was he going to get his contract re-upped another three years? It was. I think a lot of people like the optics were so bad that people were thinking, oh, they're definitely going to boot that guy. But the no, reality is the business. They gave him right. a vote of confidence after he booted Peter Rice so unceremoniously. Right. I think a lot of people are objecting to the way he behaves because he's sort of breaking the rules of, of protocol of how you handle these things, how you handle Scarlett Johansson, a movie star, how you handle the, the situation in Florida. If you have many uh, gay employees, you know, all of these things, he came around and did the right thing eventually, but he didn't start out doing the right thing. And so it's a, it's a question of, of how he, um, he's a little bit of a fish out of water, but it doesn't matter. If he's in charge, yeah. if he's, I mean, I think ultimately what what we're talking about is a guy who doesn't hide the bean counter aspects of what he's doing, you know, like Iger's brilliance was was sort of covering that in clouds of Disney magic in a way, like, look at me, I'm this much more presentable, but much more of a good liberal, much more of, of a, of a friendly talent playing uh, by the Hollywood rules on the surface while doing the the dirty work below it. So what the board is saying about Chapek is that they did, you know, I think, and a lot of people think he could have been more in concert with Iger and could have used his counsel during this, uh, difficult time, but he did steer the ship into uh, into uh, safe waters and Disney did survive the pandemic. It was uh, under a lot of threat with the cruise lines and the theme parks and everything else. And now they're okay. They're doing all right. We'll we'll see how the next three years go at this point. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, there's so many different factors now that, as we say, there is potential for theatrical performance, but the, you know, light year didn't work. Uh, in part, part, in part, we made that point last week because, of, because of Disney Plus. They so, set it up um, that way. I know yeah. they're getting so open lot, questions. You know, now. look, the whole a lot of what's wrong with the world right now has to do with a lot of people making short term choices. And now with the pandemic slightly waning, uh, it isn't really gone, as you know. Um, everybody we know seems to have gotten COVID lately. But the the, the trick here is is that it's not. Um, it's not okay. A lot of a lot of uh, fallout is still being dealt with post-pandemic. So speaking of problems with the world today, I don't think that we can ignore the fact that there was this terrible ruling by the Supreme Court over the past week, which reverberated all over the world in all parts of society and in every industry, including our own. That was the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. There is no longer a constitutional right to an abortion in this country. This is terrible news for women's rights, for allies, for anyone who cares about bodily autonomy, period. And uh, we both actually ended up doing stories about 
Um, the ripple effect of this in the documentary world, um, I spoke to some documentary filmmakers who had been working on abortion projects over the last decade. You spoke with some uh, filmmakers who had recently made one. And I think that tells you something, which is that this is not just a new problem because of this ruling. Abortion rights has, has been a, a, a huge crisis in this country uh, for years. You know, a decade ago after Tiller came out and was dealing with the, the challenges facing late term abortion doctors. And, and more recently, uh, there's this new documentary, The James. So so what did you get from talking to the directors of this movie, which uh, deals with uh, a pre row era that unfortunately many women may have to contend with now? That's what that's why this movie is so powerful. It's available on HBO Max um, right now. And it's set uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, when this group in Chicago uh, banded together. They were, you know, former student activists, anti-war activists, uh, civil rights activists. And they, they were very organized, this group of women. Uh, fulfilling a need uh, for abortions. And it wasn't just Chicago. It was states all around Illinois. The, the thing about the movie that is very, very upsetting is you are reminded of the scale of the demand. And this is what's going to happen in this country now, in all these states where you can't get abortions anymore. It's, it's about how many women need them. And in Chicago at, at Cooks County Hospital, they had a ward called a septic ward, where women who had had botched abortions, back alley abortions or knitting needles or whatever they self-inflicted on them, uh, were self-inflicted, they ended up with infections and they ended up sick and they ended up lonely and, and these silent wards where uh, nobody was visiting them. And once a week, the doctor would call to send someone to the morgue. We're talking about women dying because of this situation. And this is so disturbing that we would be 50 years later revisiting a world like this. And what's worse is that the women I talked to, Tia Lesson was one, one of them who you may know from her work with Michael Moore and uh, Trouble the Water, which was Oscar nominated. She's a great documentarian. She really um, sounded the alarm that it isn't just that we're going back to those days where it's worse. The, it's absolutely the rights worse. that are being uh, infringed upon, you know, going across state lines or, or uh, privacy rights. Or, there's data there's that so is tracked now in a way that, that it used that to not are going, be. you know, much, much worse uh, in, in terms of where it's going right now and, and the other rights that may be at risk going right. forward. Well, I I have found talking to people over the past week that one thing that, that tends to happen in situations like this, I mean, look, this is in some ways an unprecedented tragedy. In other ways, we are constantly dealing with these sort of threats to civil liberties. And, and I think that what a lot of people have realized is that you have to get past the the, the anger and the frustration to figure out what the, what, are, what are the actionable steps that you could take now. Now, you can't fix this. You can't fix this overnight. And there's no there's no silver bullet. But if you're a documentary filmmaker, you can get to work and start showing people the kind of tragedies that are now going to be unfolding across this country. Can that affect policy in some significant sort of way? You know, that we have a midterm election coming up. And if the Democrats held a majority, they could get rid of the filibuster and protect abortion rights nationwide. Don't just like give five bucks, like start doing stuff. I'm going to be making phone calls. I'll tell you that much. I signed up as soon as this happened. 
not I'm just back, postcards. I'm back writing uh, postcards. <laughs> yeah, postcards, Registered they're good, and, but you got you to you make some no, calls. No, they, they work. You, they actually work. It, it, it all makes a difference. No, I, I don't want to disparage it from that. I mean, honestly, it's this is an all hands on deck thing and not just because we're a bunch of liberals. It's because we're, we're a bunch of empathetic individuals and we want something to feel proud about and to feel meaningful about being citizens of this country. I mean, uh, you know, I'm raising a kid here. I want her to believe that America actually has something that she can believe in, too. Um, so as we head into Fourth of July, you know, I've had friends who are saying, you know, I don't know about fireworks this year. I'm not really feeling feeling patriotic. And it's like, well, the most patriotic thing you can do, I think, is fight for a better country. So that's sort of my feeling I'm with about you, Eric. it. All power to you. Absolutely. And meanwhile, everybody's going to go see minions or whatever. But once they're done with that, get to work. I was so. tempted to come to your uh, you're going to you're going to look at the fireworks from your fabulous apartment. That yeah, I'll have fun. to FaceTime you or something like that. And then uh, I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll hear all about it. Um, so next week I'm off for a bit. I'm going to take a breather. You're going to have Marcus as a guest. Then I'm back. Then I'm going to take another breather. So we're entering a weird period of the summer. And then I'll be uh, taken off at, exactly. at some point in August. But, but so. stick with us. A lot of stuff left to discuss. And, uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to catching up with you again when I'm back. Always a pleasure, Eric. Bye. Bye.